Holy guacamole! Welcome to another episode of the Mind of George Show. Ashley is here, the queen of holy guac. Ash, what did we talk about today? Oh my gosh, man. We are giving you guys the gold secrets behind email marketing. You have to have a notebook. You probably need three pens, but you need to have all of the things ready to be able to dive in to get the gold because you are just going to be totally mind blown. And I'm going to do this one a little different than I do because normally I read my notes of like a rap sheet, but let me say this. Uh, you might want to listen to this episode on half speed because Ashley and I both talk at the same cadence. And this is the first time, and I mean the first time in 200 episodes that we dedicated an entire episode to strategic and tactical breakdown of something you can implement immediately, no matter what your business or what your level when it comes to email. And it's all framed around the five biggest mistakes we see people make with email. And here's the secret, inversion theory. If you don't do these five things and you do what we said, your email is going to skyrocket and blow your competition out of the water. And so there are five things. Some of them are don't spray and pray. Some of them are don't ignore your list, but they get deep, they get tactical, and they give you tangible examples. And Ash, I got to say it. We actually <laughs> mapped out an entire welcome sequence on the episode that people pay to get done that you can implement right away. So get a notebook, three pens, a cup of coffee, and half speed, and go listen to us laugh, talk about sea turtles, avocados, and email. I think we got it? Nailed it. Okay, cool. So now everybody stop listening. Well, no, keep listening to this, but we're going to stop talking so you can listen to the episode. So now we're going to cue the intro. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show, and I am stoked to have the queen of coffee, turtles, emails, avocados, and conversations when it comes to email. Like, I have the queen of email. I would dub myself the king of email sometimes. <laughs> it depends on what kind of mood I'm in. But the, the king of email, I'm pretty good at it customer journey-wise. But I have my counterpart, the queen, who is like a walking heartbeat of love and happiness to everybody, but also is a master tactician when it comes to emails and creating deep conversations, intentional conversations with your customers and helping every business that I've ever met of every size deepen their relationship with their customers via email and take it to the next level. So I'd like to welcome to the show, my dear friend, actually one of our amazing mastermind members, the queen of email. I'm just going to name you that, Ashley DeLuca. <laughs> woo -woo, thank you so much for having me. Will you take the title, the moniker, the queen of email? Uh, I got to tell you, everybody's been dubbing me as it. So I think I'm just going to have to accept it and make a bumper sticker. I think so. I think so. So for everybody listening, when I have email questions, like, cause I can't do my own stuff. I'm like, Ashley, 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 Ashley. And so she really, really is. And I'm stoked that you're here. I'm honored that you're here. And I'm going to, because we're going to keep this whole thing email. Like we're just going to go email, 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 which I've actually been geeking out about email all day today. So we might as well do it some more. And we're going to keep it on email. So I'm going to reframe the first question that I normally ask everybody. And you listen to the show, so you know. But now <laughs> I'm going to go the other way. And so now as somebody who's been under the hood, behind the scenes of so many businesses, entrepreneurs, of entrepreneurs that are service providers and consultants and physical products brands, I want to know what are the biggest mistakes that you see they make with email and how should people not make them anymore? Oh my gosh. There, uh, sadly, there are lots of them. How about, you list, had... how about you list them for me? And then I'll remind you if you forget, like what are a few off the top of your head and then start riffing? Yeah, totally. Okay. So I would say probably well, one of them definitely is they lack intentionality when it comes to when they're sending out their campaigns. There is oftentimes very much so the spray method of just spraying all of your subscribers with campaigns and not specifically targeting the right people. And oftentimes even, I mean, we talk a lot about insulting people via email and offending them being like, dude, I already bought this or it's not time for me to buy more. So thinking about where they're at. And I would also say with that as well, 
one of the other things is just a lack of originality. Just, you know, the copy and paste of the product descriptions, the copy and paste of show notes, and not really taking the time to think about the person on the other side and how they want to consume your information. I love it. I love it. I Those are four big ones that I think are going to fill this up for everybody. So I want to summarize real quick. So number one, lacking intentionality in email, not spraying and praying, not insulting people's intelligence by not understanding where they are in their journey and then lacking originality, right? The copy paste method. Okay, cool. So I get what you're saying, but now I want to know when you say lacking intentionality in emails, what does that mean for you? How do people do that? How can they put intention into their emails? Yeah, totally. Okay. So one of the biggest things that when I first started doing email, which was like five years ago, which is crazy to even say that now, one of the things that I found was a basically a step-by-step process of how do you build out your first welcome sequence? Because that's usually where a lot of people start. And as I was going through it, I was like, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. Like if I'm talking about this and I'm talking about coming over here, now I want you to buy. I was like, there's not enough time within you being able to even understand who Ashley Zaluka is for me to then ask for the credit card. And so as we're going through this, a lot of times when it comes to intentionality, it's about really considering the purpose behind what you're sending. I see all the time where people are like, I wrote this thing on Facebook, so I'm just going to like copy and paste it and send it over there because that's just the easy method. Or, you know, a lot of times I'll see again, and we'll talk a little bit more about this within the copy and paste, but it's really more so about taking your person in the front seat and understanding that like that person, when they're opening your email, it's probably like two inches away from their face. If you're like me, where I'm like reading my email in bed in the morning, or (laughs) if you know, going through and like, you know, again, going through your email address and looking through and trying to find the place where you're just like, oh my gosh, okay, cool. This is where I can insert myself into what you're sharing. And so when you are going through this intentionality piece, I just think it's so incredibly important to really just consider the person on the other side. Yeah. So, what it comes up to. yeah so let's give an example. Can we like break down an example? Okay. So we'll do this because her and I do these together with people all the time, but like we said, welcome sequence, right? Yeah. And welcome sequence, uh, typically in my world, what I see people use them as is a really lazy way to sign up for my newsletter or I got somebody's email, but I don't know why. And so I'm going to introduce them to my brand and maybe get an offer. So they're typically mm-hmm. like three to five emails and there's never a full story or a timeline and it's always really, really compressed and then there's no, like you said, there's no way for them to go deep. There's no way for them to know, like, and trust you. There's no way for them to get kind of fall in love with the brand. And so then no matter what's put in, it doesn't work. And so can you take me through like anybody listening to this right now, like physical product, digital product, service consultant, like basically from a high level, like how would you go about designing a welcome sequence? Like how many emails, why would you do it? What would go in it? But like, I just want to blow everybody's mind and you just like tactically tell them how to do it. Okay, I'm here for it. All right. So one of the things that I learned specifically from you is the accountability piece within email that a lot of people miss. So this is like the Ashley DeLuca version of this, but essentially, so (laughs) I always Ashlify everything. I'm just like, "Mm, okay, okay, what about we just add this? Okay. So the very first thing for your welcome email, this is probably, well, definitely hands down your top open, top red, top click, your most eyeballs email. And so this is the only email that I usually recommend that you put two call to actions inside of. And so within this, you want to hit three things. First, you want to do, and also too, I always give credit back around to you, is the you statement, which I stole and also talk a lot about, is like, again, and a funny story. Um, this is one of the first comments you ever gave to me when you audited my email. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to keep this forever. Okay, so anyways, so the you statement. And basically what that is, in case you all don't know, is essentially what you want to do is you want to bring it back around to basically congratulating them and being like, oh my gosh, you just took the first step to X result. And being able to, in that first statement, basically give them a pat on the back of like, oh my gosh, yeah, like I know you want to hit 10K months or you want to feel better in your clothes or you want to blah, blah, blah. Use that use statement that then links to whatever your free download, opt-in, thingamabopper may be. 
And so the next piece of this is then introducing yourself, making sure that you're giving some kind of context of who you are and standing in your expert authority. This is something that I struggled with, first of all, because I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. Are people going to think I'm too much? But give it all. Give all of the good details within who you are, what you do, and all the fun stuff before you then move into your opt-in, your freebie, your download, or your $27 offer. This will give you enough of that authority piece that they're going to pay attention and actually click on going over into your free opt-in offer thing. And within that, make sure you give a time frame of how much time or what they can expect from that. So what I really like to do is really focus within that like opt-in freebie piece of it to then make sure that they are actually getting one tangible result that they can take away from it. Mm -hmm. Too much stuff out there is too incredibly fluffy. And even if you don't like, even if you just have like a newsletter on the front, of like you're just going to join my newsletter. Like I don't want another newsletter and neither does your grandma. So making sure that you have a tangible piece of that. So that way, as soon as they're done with that, you have a next action step to be able to pop on over to your podcast, pop over to Instagram, whatever that may be to then share it with their audience as well too or to then provide you feedback on oh my gosh yeah I went through this guide and I got x results or I did this thing and that works for everybody so that's the first one that's the welcome and then we move into accountability with email number two usually what ends up happening is we don't ever follow up on the fact that we just gave somebody some gold in the first email mm -hmm. and so the very first thing oh yeah the first thing i always follow up with is a did you go through the process of actually downloading the guide watching the training if you did it like no big deal like that's totally cool um you may be more like george way more aggressive and be like listen i'm gonna kick you in the shins if you don't go through the process of downloading this like what are you doing with your life mm -hmm. find your flavor you can you can find something in between the two of us um but and I'm like, please just go and download and like actually watch it. And so give them the accountability and then move into the next piece of it, which is going to be actually the implementation. So many people will read it and you can keep them accountable to it, but you want to have them implement and then build upon it. So the next few emails of this is just building upon the principle or the piece of information you gave them to be able to create your next best customer. And this is one of the biggest things that people miss is they just want to throw a blog post at people or a podcast episode or just something to like give value. But what I really want to do is within an eight email sequence is give enough time to be able to prep you to become my next best customer by giving you either the tools or the strategies or the knowledge or even just the awareness that you need what I have to offer and providing that context within those emails. So I like to personally do it through stories. Um, I know like within our community, we talk a lot about stories and a lot of podcast episodes, you guys touch on that too, is like providing those stories to be able to then break through and become relatable, but then also create those connection points that are going to then make them go, oh, I get it. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, you're totally right. And so that's, that's the way I like to do it before I then move into the sales piece, which is actually emails five through eight as opposed to just using email number five and just praying that someone's going to read it. They're not going to miss it and pray that they're actually going to take action in just one email. Got it. I love it. So let's, I want to summarize because I want to make sure that we're tracking. So welcome sequence, welcome email, and you nailed it. It's literally the most open email. It's the best chance you have to get attention. And, and let me call a spade for people listening. The worst thing you can do is basically ego blast them. Hey guys, I'm so effing awesome. Let me tell you how awesome I am and why I'm awesome and not make it about them. And so Ashley and I have done this a lot. And so always use the use statement. You did it, you started, congratulate. What you wanna do is you wanna acknowledge momentum. You want to literally let them be seen in the choice that they make. And then depending on where they came from, they might've got this first email from an actual opt-in, but if they didn't, it was just a welcome sequence. Then you can position them going to your freebie or downloading it or even positioning into an offer like that. And then you tell them why they should know, like, and trust you. Like, why are you qualified to teach me on email? And I want to say this for everybody. It doesn't mean because you've done a billion emails. It doesn't mean because your tenured is the best in the world. It means that you have a piece of information that they could benefit from. And that's all you have to establish. And so that's email number one. And then email number two is accountability. And this is, um, this is like my proprietary stuff that like I figured out over the years and I loved it. It came from this thing that I had, but I started realizing that we started running studies around this and that it was like 80% of people because we would put tracking links in PDFs because we, we used to do that back in the day. So we would realize like 80% of people that click the download link never opened the PDF, like never even opened it. And just by simply reminding them on email too, like, hey, remember you downloaded it? If you're like me, it's probably still hiding in your downloads folder with the results that you're seeking. 
And so, hint, hint, if you want the results, here it is again, but you have to open it and put it into practice. And so I love that. And that's what we talk about with accountability is putting that in. And then I want to make sure I summarize for emails three through five is basically where you take a part of your expertise, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. getting somebody to write their first email per se or, or do a workout per se. And then instead of just making it bland and boring, you start telling stories either through your lens or through the lens mm-hmm. of another customer or somebody's experience in those three emails to, and the most important part, everybody listen, in those three emails to not remind them that they need to do something, but to actually get them to complete something, like to actually get better at email or get better at movement or get better at fitness. So when you make an offer, the offer isn't coming to them when they don't feel good enough and they feel overwhelmed, but they're like, I've already made progress and they haven't even charged me any money yet. So now can you imagine the progress I'll make if they sell me something and I'm paying, which then means like by email five, you've taken them through that. And then email six, seven, and eight, or emails five, six, seven, and eight are introducing the offer and actually giving them time to do their due diligence, right? It allows them to shop through Mm -hmm. it and find it. And so I'm assuming that it's something along the lines of us being similar, like where you make an offer and then the next email is you talk about, you know, the breakdown of why it's important, how they can do it. And then you handle like FAQs and user testimonials, right? Nailed it. Yep. 100%. I'm summarizing because my podcast people listen to my language and you and I speak the same language. And so we're using similar things. And so uh, for everybody listening just right now, uh, if you really don't have this, I want you to pause this and listen again. People pay us and hire us to do that for them. Like, a lot mm-hmm. of money just to take them through that. And I think for you, Ash, what you were saying is like lacking intentionality. Like that is a shining example of how to put intentionality into the offer. And, and I think the one point that I'll make for everybody before I ask you another question is that a lot of times we get so excited that we got the email, that we got the credit card, that we got the purchase, that we then shoot our shot all in one day and then we get upset that people only stay for a day or stay for a week. When somebody Mm -hmm. gives you their attention for a relationship, they're giving it to you and you're the one that's in control on how long that relationship lasts. And so you don't have to rush. You don't have to put high pressure. You can create a container that allows them to take a journey. And so thank you for so eloquently explaining that. And so now I'm I'm gonna tee up your next one. Because I am I would rant on this for hours, right? So for everybody listening, we said she made the four biggest mistakes. And we just completely broke down mistake number one, which was not intentionally using your email, not putting intentionality into it. And so number two is don't spray and pray. So Ash, tell me what the people are doing and tell me why they're doing it wrong and tell me what they can do better. Totally. And I will say this is something that I see. It doesn't matter if you have 50 subscribers or 50,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. I think it's really incredibly important to, first of all, take a look at separating your audience and understanding them on a deeper level. Now, I'm going to tell you the way that I used to do it, which was like totally confusing and overwhelming. And then I'm going to simplify it because that's the way that we all want anyways. So originally, and I've seen other people do this too, we have like eight trillion different segments and tags and groups and all of this data essentially that we think is helping us being able to then track how our subscribers are interacting with our emails or how that then relates into revenue for us within email marketing. And so we were, I, I had one client who was tracking like all, every time someone would click over to their Facebook group, every time they would click on over to Instagram or when they would click over to a podcast episode. And I was like, okay, at the end of the day, that is helpful, but how does that translate into you understanding your subscriber better to be able to then sell to them better? Mm-hmm. And so instead of tracking all of the things, focus on what really makes a difference in terms of with people who actually come over and over to your application, people who actually go through the process of submitting the application and thinking about even for on the e-commerce side, the people who are clicking on the link. So that way you can then have that automated trigger set up to then re-remind them if they abandon cart and all that stuff. I would say one of the biggest things within this process is when you can actually start to group more intentionally and take a look at not just, and even deeper than like non-buyers and buyers, right? Within the simple fact of like, did they swipe the credit card or didn't? 
but actually moving deeper into, okay, on the non-buyer side, who are your most engaged people? Mm -hmm. Who are the people who are like, and I see this all the time as well, like we have those super extremely loyal subscribers and the people who are constantly interacting, constantly doing that, but you're just like, okay, but they've never gotten on a sales call or they've never gone through the process of buying my product, or they've never gone through, you know, actually hurdling over into the other side. So when you can go through and actually figure, find those people and then pull them out so you can specifically target them with a sequence that is very intentionally designed to re-engage with them to be able to get them to that point and figure out what those pain points are, that's when you can start to be able to actually take your people and then take them to the next level within that. So in a more tangible example, the way that I like to set up tags and segments specifically so that way you're not just hitting all subscribers and sending and hoping that it just lands with the right person is first doing the non-buyer and buyer but then more so going into on the buyer side what is that next step for that person so that way when you're sending out specific sales emails you can take out those who have already purchased that specific program or service moving them into the next one but then more so also too being able to then re-engage with especially on the product side being able to re-remind them and be able to get those referrals because a lot of times we get to the sale and then we're like okay cool awesome but intentionally setting up a journey where then you're um you know this goes like on the, the buyer fulfillment side but specifically targeting them for referral pieces being able if you have a specific sale and you want them to share with your audience especially if you work with people who have an influence or a large social following and thinking about those pieces allows you to really hone in and make a more targeted message that lands home for people yeah, I I love that. And I'm I you know what's funny is like when we think about this, you can so obsessively segment it's a diminishing return. And like yeah. I had to learn how to minimally segment because I obsessively segmented including in companies with customers and things like that, but really, you know, one of the secrets to success when it comes to any business, but especially like the businesses that most of us are running is personalization. And segmentation allows you to personalize at scale. And I think a lot of times people don't understand what personalization means. It doesn't mean you're sending one email to every single person. It's that you're sending an email and they feel like it's personal because it's speaking to who they are. And so mm -hmm. I think that that is one of the most important pieces to where, yeah, you have a whole list. Very rarely, and I mean very rarely, is it ever like ideal to like blast the whole list? Like even then mm -hmm. I still like, even if it's like company-wide announcements, my most loyal customers are going to do something different with our company-wide announcements than they are somebody who like occasionally opens an email. And so segmentation, and, and I would agree, and I'll use your word again, intentionality on segmentation. I feel like the best way to pose it would be to ask yourself is like, how can I maximally personalize the relationship with our customers without literally diminished returns. So like, I don't need to know that mm -hmm. everyone went to the Facebook group and things like that, but it is good to yeah. know where people came from, right? Once, not all the time. It's good to know mm -hmm. if they're a buyer, non-buyer. It's good to know that they, and like, I'll give you some e-commerce examples that they've bought within the last 30 days, bought within the last month or haven't bought, I mean, bought within the last six months or haven't bought in over a year because a promo mm -hmm. is going to be very, very different for them. And so for everybody listening, Stop sending broadcast emails to your whole effing email list. Okay. I just had to say that. No. And I'll, I'll add to this as well too. On a deeper level, it really impacts your deliverability as well. Because mm -hmm. the thing is, is that when you're just spraying your entire list, you're more likely for people to, again, that personalization factor, they're definitely more likely to be like, mm, okay, yeah, this is not for me. Your unsubscribe rates are going to be a lot higher. The deliverability on terms of with like your sender score, like, all of those pieces play into it. Yep. And so we're not just saying, please, please take time to actually segment. Like this will impact the like longevity of your email list and also help with having higher open and click rates and all the things when you're sending to smaller segments overall. Yeah. And I'll, I'm going to get geeky with Ashley for a minute. Cause a lot of you don't, I, I, I acknowledge today to my team that I don't talk about email enough like legitimately, and you're probably going to agree with me. It's probably like one of my strongest suits and I like never talk about it because all I talk about is mindset, but I'm going to talk about email more. But what Ashley just said, and a lot of people don't understand this, is that like you basically have a credit score for your email. You have an email score mm -hmm. and there's three bureaus. Uh, I know some of them and people, yeah, whatever. Three bureaus and basically they all take account of every single thing that goes out. So how many bounce, how many cold subscribers, how many clicks, how many unsubscribes, how many spam reports. 
and it is a rap sheet or per se a report card that follows you for the life of you having that email. And even mm-hmm. if you um, grow over time and clean your list, if you're on the same provider, you probably still have the same dedicated IP or account profile. And it would be you have to start over on a new dedicated server. But then if you carry those people over and it's still the same domain, then you still have a score there. And so what Ashley just said is huge because we get asked, and I know she does as well, how do I get my open rates up? How do I get my click-through rates up? Well, a lot of it can't be done by one simple change because it happened as a result of really bad habits over a sustained period of time that created that result, which means in order to get it back, it requires intentionally emailing and segmenting over a long period of time to recover and to start to tilt that back in the opposite direction. That's fair, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally fair. Yeah, it is a journey. And I think as well, too, I get that all the time. It's like, what is the quick fix to fix all of my email problems? And I'm like, there's a lot that goes into consistency and that intentionality and just being very careful on how you get your subscribers and where you're getting them from and making sure that they are the right people and having that filter, especially as you're going through and getting people and making sure your opt-in is very, very, very targeted from the get-go. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to date you a little bit here, Ashley, because I've been doing email marketing since 2010 is when I started. And then the one thing I have to say is that, what we're talking about not doing now actually worked back in 2010 because email was not a, it was there, but it wasn't as primary of a communication source. It wasn't getting spammed like your mailbox. And so back in the day, we could send one email and make a hundred grand to get like a 60% conversion rate. Like we could send one email and not even have to like write copy because the market hadn't become so saturated and created this paradigm of mistrust and this massive discernment lens. But now you have to look at email like you're in a brick and mortar business. Like, can you imagine if every customer walked to the door, you're like, you called all of them Diane. Good morning, Diane. Like, no, it's <laughs> not going to work, right? And so I, ju- I do want to say, because some of us have been around the block and like, I had to really change and evolve, but luckily I was consulting on email as all these changes were happening. And it is right now almost, and I would, I would, I would go out on a limb and you could quote me on this, that your email will never be successful unless it's intentional and personalized. The end. Oh, hundred percent. And yeah. I will say back in the day, we used to get away with not doing it, myself included. Like I, I used to send bundle offers and boom, and I'm like, whoop, taking a vacation up, oh, bought a new car. Um, but the market has changed. And as the market changes and the demand changes, the market dictates how we must show up. And now in the world mm-hmm. of DMs and Instagram and SMS and platforms and push notifications, personalization is required. And so I just want to hone in more on what Ashley said. And Ashley, I'm going to inject for a minute here because I have to tell everybody why I have Ashley on the show. So Ashley is my queen of email. Like I call Ashley after the show, I'm asking Ashley an email question. I call Mm -hmm. Ashley when I need email. And I think Ashley is a little batshit crazy for all the right reasons because she is a giver. (laughs) So Ashley decided to write a book. And Ashley decided to write a book on email. And Ashley decided to take the queen of email's brain and put it into a book that's sitting in front of you that talks about and teaches you these things to put into practice without George's consulting price tag uh, or hers. And so you can utilize it. And so I literally called her. I was like, I want you on the show. I want to talk about email, but I want to tell all of these amazing human beings about your book. And I just want to say I was the first supporter. Oh, nailed it. No, I think I was like, <laughs> I think I was like number three because I was sleeping when the link got posted. Um, but I am stoked for this book. And so Ashley is sharing parts of the book, but I am going to tell you a couple times throughout the show, including right now that I will come kick you in the shins if you do not go pre-order a copy of her book. And so we will have the team linked to it, but it's really easy. And I'm going to spell it out for you right now. Get a pen, get a piece of paper, type it in your phone, write it, spit it in your browser. And it's ashleykdeluca.com slash book. So A-S-H-L-E-Y-K and then deluca, D-E-L-U-C-A.com slash book. Go get one. Because we are crowdfunding. The book's getting published, but this gives you rewards on top of it, like personalized stuff from Ashley and audits. And so before I ask her the next question, 
I want you to write that down now and remember it and either pause the episode and go, and yes, I'm being very aggressive. I don't run sponsors on this podcast. This is what we do because you need this book in your life. Go do it. And now let's get back into it. Sorry, Ash, I had, do you want to say anything about the book right in the middle of the episode? I mean, honestly, I will say that the process of creating this book has been a combination of my experience back in Montana in April and Hulk smashing and owning the table. Because that's what the book's called. We, we finally decided on the name. It's called Own Your Table. And mm. it really is about this process of being able to create your own table of people and subscribers who come into your world. Because I grew up, you know, homeschooled when it wasn't cool. I have two brothers with Down syndrome. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of education around that. So I was always like, so I feel like, but very much so, so the people's tables. And I wanted other people to like see me, even though someone else was the star. And email marketing gave me my voice. It was like that first step for me to be able to really embrace my weirdness in a more closed container where people are actually interested in what Ashley DeLuca has to say and the replies and all of that that comes along with it. So I'm excited. It's yeah. about conversational email marketing, but it's also, again, about my experience with Hulk, Hulk smashing and owning my own table. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important to say. So Ashley is extremely humble, but I've never really met a more giving, empathetic, compassionate human being. Like... I, 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 I coach Ashley and it's like a dear gift of mine to be able to do so. But like, you know, when you ask a lot of people, myself included, like, what's my vision? And I was like, oh, I want a ranch and I want this and I want this. Ashley's like, I want to build a turtle sanctuary and fund everybody to be there to rescue half of humanity and then give everything I make to help everybody else with special needs. Like there's a special place in the universe for Ashley. And I'm saying this to you right now as we're recording this. And I just want to thank you. Um, and so for everybody listening, like you see those moments where like you have angels walking on earth and I believe that Ashley is one of them and the embodiment of mm -hmm. what you do, Ashley, I feel like you put into the book. And so for everybody listening to this, I don't ask for much often, but I'm going to tell you right now that I think the universe would pay you in spades. Number one, through your email, number two, owning your table and number three, just supporting this amazing human beings book. And so I wanted to say that, but now I'm going to ask you the next question. <laughs> Or else we're going to end up crying the whole time. And you and I will yeah. cry together. I'm like, Ashley! Yeah. And we'll save that until the mastermind in October. We will cry then. We will, we, will, we will get out of the way now. So then my favorite line, and I summarized for you, but I wrote, don't insult people's intelligence by ignoring their journey. And I mean, I'm sure we could summarize this up as there's not a one-size-fits-all approach and boom. But I would love to hear your thoughts on this one. I was like, what are the mistakes that people are making and what can they do better around this concept? Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of that does have to do, especially in the back end side. You know, on the front end side, it's pretty easy to kind of just like be forgetful and be like, oh, I got that email and you archive it. But on the back end, especially when you're sending out and creating these journeys, a lot of times we assume that people already have the tools. We already assume that people are at a certain place within business. And I think one of the biggest opportunity areas is to, again, think about that intentionality. That's what always comes back to you for me is that intentionality of what you're exactly sending at the right time and making sure that you're not just sending out content that is like way over somebody's head and assuming they understand it. But then also, too, coming back and, like, sitting at the same level. I feel like a lot of times when we're sending emails out, and specifically as I'm auditing for different companies, we are, again, at this, like, higher level. We're, like, up here. We have the solution. And we're, like, dangling it. But we're not actually coming face-to-face -face and being, like, where are you at? Like, what's going on in your world? And thinking about opening that conversational door. And when we do a lot of times within replies, we ask people to reply, like, what's your biggest struggle or what's your biggest thing you have going on? And it's very much so like, okay, listen, like if we're on our first date, like you're not going to ask me how many kids I want because I probably don't even know first of all. And that's super awkward. So like thinking about that on the email side, it's like, what the heck, man? Like, why are we doing that on the email side as well? Like trying to be super intrusive and trying to like dig into all the things without giving enough context or giving them this space that they need to be able to feel like, oh my gosh, I can totally pour my heart out to you. Or, oh my gosh, I totally feel seen and heard by you and not just being like, oh no, you need this. Well, maybe they don't need this, right? Like meeting them right in the middle within that process. Yeah, that's a really, really valid point. I want to unpack that a little bit more because my brain went to like, you know, we use dating as a metaphor for digital marketing all the time, but email is really it. Yep. 
And I know one of the things I teach, and obviously I feel like we just co-teach now because we're so immersed in email together, but um, <laughs> like even when we're building relationships with people, right? Like I think this point is like, don't insult people's intelligence, right? So don't copy and paste a YouTube description and put it into email, right? Don't take a Facebook caption mm -hmm. that worked and put it into email. Don't take the show notes for the podcast and regurgitate the same thing. Yeah. All you really have to do, and I'm going to give everybody the solution right now, is you just have to frame it with the right context and then you can say whatever you want, right? But it's mm -hmm. no different than like an Instagram caption does not work on Facebook because Instagram is a visual-based platform. You have to get somebody's attention, take them on a journey that's limited to 2,200 characters, but the content on Facebook is consumed differently and it's mixed in and so you have to write in a different style and you will have the same takeaway, right? You want them to get to the same place, but the stepping stones have to be a little bit differently. And just like that Facebook caption would never work in the description of a YouTube video because it wouldn't match contextually. When you're moving these things into email, you have to remember that no matter where they are in that email journey, they are a part of a journey. And so whatever mm -hmm. you're sending has to be personalized for that journey and then context been given. So I just want everybody to understand, you can email your podcast episodes, you can email your videos, you can email your social content, but you have to find a way to build a bridge between it and email so that it makes sense and it feels personal. That was part one. Mm -hmm. That's my long summary. Part two, <laughs> and I love the way that you said it, do not ask me how many kids I want to have on my first date. I love that. And it's the level the level of intentionality is allowing the space for a relationship to develop itself. There's no forced customers that work good. Like, can you, like, if any of you have ever flown to Mexico into the airport, Cancun, Puerto Vallarta, you walk through the airport and there are a hundred timeshare desks. You can't even leave the airport without getting attacked, right? Like, I've attempted yeah. to speak German. I've attempted to tell them no in Spanish. <laughs> I've put blindfolds on. And like, I'm not buying timeshares, but man, they attack. And here's the thing. None of those go well for like the right people. Yes, some people buy, but like that's what a lot of people do with email, right? But here's what's funny. Mm -hmm. If they waited till I got to my hotel and then offered me like literally delivered a free breakfast and then just asked me a question to see if I was interested, I'd actually listen, right? And so for you, I think to summarize what you said, it's like we do, and just so everybody knows, I'm going to make a sub-mistake. This will be 3.1. Using, quote, unquote, a false relationship to create email engagement. And what do I mean by that? I watch people now trying to use open-ended questions as a strategy or tactic to increase deliverability or open rates and things. Here's the beautiful part. It doesn't work if it's lacking the depth and the intentionality, right? You have to have it. And so one of the rules I have is I have to earn the right for you to give me words. No joke. Everybody listen to this. I want you to understand this. I, and I will say, Ash, thanks for bringing this up. This is the first time I will ever publicly share this. I even talked about it in the mastermind. It's just the way that I explain it now. It's like, if you've only been with me for like a week and like, I've literally given you something and I'm still helping you in the process. I feel like in our relationship at most the most you can give me is one to two words. I'm talking yes or no's, right? And then I'm like, when I get to a month, I feel like I've earned maybe a sentence. And then when I get to like six months, I feel like I've earned a paragraph. And so what I mean by that is like, if I'm doing engagement via emails and I'm trying to figure out where you are, I might just ask an open-ended question in the beginning if you're stuck on your journey or if you need help on your journey and yes or no. And then maybe at a month, when you're done, I might ask you to put into a sentence what you mean. But when I ask like open-ended questions, like ones that require thought and depth, and Ashley edited all my Lightkeeper emails, we didn't put those in until like email 70. And then what ends mm -hmm. up happening is we got 70 lines of response because the relationship matured as it went because I wasn't trying to cookie cutter everybody. And so what Ashley's sharing is pure gold. I'm just trying to give a lot of examples as to where this fits in and how you can utilize this because though really, and Ash and I would agree on this, the secrets to emails are not the ways in which you can use it and the strategies and tactics. The secret is the intentionality and the intentional relationship building and depth with it being a two-way communication method of marketing, email conversational marketing, and then those tools and strategies and tactics have the ability to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that? And I'll say, 
Yeah, basically. I would I would put a gold star on that. Okay. And I think <laughs> and I think also too along with that is like when I first sent out, out my um email that was very much so like open ended, my very much so common hate email that I talked a lot about, like that email didn't go out until like four years of just consistently being like, How can I help you? How can I serve you? Like still pitching within that, but just focusing on being consistent and building that relationship that all the people who responded back like felt like they were in an actual one-on-one -on -one relationship with me and were like, oh my gosh, I know everything about you and Nick. And I know that you're in like all the sea turtles and avocados and you went on vacation three weeks ago. Like they knew all that because I prefaced that and I included it in, in a way that was very memorable, but at the same time too, allowed for them to be able to pull those personal facts. So that way, when I opened the door and I was like, hey, like I'm really here for you. I'm on the other side of this laptop, like waiting for your reply. They were like, well, yeah, of course she is. Like she's shown up and she's been there for not necessarily like one-on-one -on -one individually for them, but like they felt that way through the personalization and the segmentation. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And so now I want to go to the fourth one and I'm excited about the fourth one because I feel like you are the, once you Hulk smashed and for anybody <laughs> wondering, you have to join the mastermind to know what we're talking about. That's all I'm going to give you. Um, but Ashley Hulk smashed. Uh, at the event, but you're like the queen of originality, right? And so when you say like one of the biggest mistakes people make is lacking originality when it comes to their email, can you give me like some examples of like what they do that is not good and then ways in which that they can personalize and get original so that they have the ability to create that connection? Totally. Okay. So the originality standpoint goes back to the copy and pasting thing. But more in-depthly, a lot of times it's just the tone, right? It's very much so very bland. It's very much central. Like, you know, like when I first started writing emails, I took them into very much so of the corporate setup because that's what I was used to doing. I was used to writing corporate customer service emails to people. And so I kept that tone. And if you can only imagine what I would talk about as I was writing these emails for DSW is like, we are so sorry, your Gucci shoes are lost in like Netherlands, right? And so like, if I were to actually write that email now, I'd be like, holy guac, like your shoes are somewhere in this world, but we're going to find them even if we have to take scooters and find it, you know, go through the UBS stores. And the thing is, is that a lot of times we just try to focus so much and on like being professional or being very corporate when a lot of times that's where our background came from, yeah. that we kind of go through this process of not infusing the personality, not really just kind of letting go of the leashes. Now, I totally believe that people should figure out their middle piece of like, okay, where, where do you actually line within authenticity and originality? Yeah. But more so within that, being able to just pull the curtain back and be like, listen, if we had a one-on-one -on -one conversation right now in real life, like this is exactly how I would talk to you. And I think that's really incredibly important, especially when you're the face of the brand, but then also for a company as well, this can be a little bit more challenging because a lot of times for the company, like you have more of like the brand voice and the brand tone, and you have many people who are then coming in to be able to create that. But when you can find something that is super memorable, so for me, it's the avocados and like saying holy guac and all of that, that is how you can really actually get into somebody's brain memory storage, where I'll hop on calls with people or someone will find me. Like when we went at the event in Montana, someone was like, oh my gosh, there's, she, there's the avocado girl. And I was like, wait, what? what? And I was like, oh, okay, that's like what I'm now. Like maybe I should have put that on my name tag instead of Ashley. Um, and it's one of those things where like it, it happens, but like very intentionally you'll find your piece of that and then be able to bring that in then for people to visually remember you. Yeah. And it's funny cause I'm the pink shoe guy, right? Like now I'm, yes. I'm the pink and like, I mean, like, here's what's funny, Ash. I am wearing pink shorts. I'm like your salmon shorts. my yes. salmon shorts. I have seven pairs. They're all from Flagner fail. They're my friends, but I bought them cause I support their company. But now not only, so here's. Let's let's do story time on how to infuse personality in email because this is the story I would tell. Ashley knows this story. So I have a favorite pair of pink shoes, okay? They're made from a company called Native, and I loved them, but I only bought three colors, okay? And I just assumed they'll have this color forever. Well, I get to the end of my third pair, and there's a hole in the bottom, and these are the shoes I only wear when I keynote, go to events, or facilitate events, right? Like, they are literally in every mastermind photo, every keynote I've given, every interview I've done. Like, national news, I was in the pink shoes. <laughs> like, it does not change. And so I was like, yep. bummer. So I reach out to the company, like, oh, we'll never make that color again. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I was like, okay. So then I went aggressive. I was like, I will buy 200 pairs. 
because I was like looking at the numbers of their company and I was like, okay, they probably won't do a 50 run. Let me go bold. I'm like, I will buy 200 pairs if you do me a size nine in this color. And they're like, no. And I was like, oh, I'm not willing to spend more than that on shoes because that was an expensive shoe order and it was hard to convince my wife. Um, but it made sense, <laughs> right? It was a brand, it was a brand play. And so then they had this new one they call like milk pink and then another one called shell pink and it's really muted and really subtle and it's not loud like I want it and I've been trying and I found some other ones that weren't there and I was like, damn it. And so then I started realizing I just started accessorizing pink elsewhere to make my pink shoes stand out more. So now I'm addicted to wearing pink shorts and in George fashion, I didn't want to run out and they're limited run. So I have seven pairs and they're basically indestructible. Mm -hmm. So now I'm thinking the pink short shorts might be my thing for a while, but we will figure it out when somebody says, okay, so that was it. That was story time. Yeah. And you know, I'll also say, and I don't think I've told you this yet. The wearing your hat backwards consistently almost every single day is also another social trigger Um, because I was watching an Instagram reel and I like went to hop up and Dan was like, my husband, he was like, is that George? And I was like, no, because there was like a girl, there was a girl. And I was like, well, that's not Lynn. Like, no, that's not, that's not Lindsay. Um, not, not, no, not hair. No. Um, it was like dark black. And I was like, nope, that this picture does not fit. Um, but it's one of those things that like when you show, like when you pick your thing and then you also create consistency around it and making sure that it shows up in those little ways, it makes a huge difference within people remembering you and yeah. being like, Oh, is that George? Or is that, is that yeah. Ashley? Or yeah. And it. one, and one thing I'll say, cause now I want to get back to your point. Cause that was a pointless tangent, except it led to that, which is great. And social triggers yeah. are huge, <laughs> which is why we always recommend the book contagious by Jonah Berger. But one of the things you said about the originality, right? It's, it's finding your voice and kind of owning it. And I was giving Mm -hmm. this feedback to a company the other day. Like you said, you know, like DSW, right? They would have benefited by you having that personality in those emails, right? Allowing you to express and add that humor and credibility and things that come with it, right? And so it's like, we see this in e-commerce companies all the time where it's like, yeah, you can send a, your order has been shipped, but a company I work with routine, I wrote their emails and we wrote, our intern just hopped on the unicycle to deliver the order. And it is totally their personality because they would ride a unicycle around the office. And like, what you have to realize is that like, you find the thing you want to say, like, go open your email or like, for example, our bags are waterproof, right? A high speed daddy. And it's like, I can tell you all day that the bag is waterproof, but what fits better is telling you it's, it's impervious to baby throw up that can easily be wiped Mm -hmm. off. And then it adds our personality. And so that's an example of what Ashley's talking about. But there's one point that I think is huge that I don't think enough people talk about. When you write, you have to eliminate Basically, you have to compensate for the 92% of communication that isn't read. Like you don't have body language. You don't have tone. You don't have context. And so what I found Mm -hmm. is to get my edge, like my polarity, my originality across, I actually have to overcompensate when I write because it has to transmute. Because if I just write in like, oh, the pink shoe thing, it kind of can be passed over because it doesn't have enough. And so like... I love it though, mm-hmm. because it gives me the ability to unapologetically practice who I am, right? Like, and here's what I think. It's like, I look at every email, like I'm texting my best friend and my best friends would never tell me to turn myself down. They tell me to turn myself yep. up. They're like, I want more of you. And it's like, cool, like give more. But I love the way that you said it because we say this all the time, but really when you have somebody's email and so does your competitor, The only differentiation is your personality. It's the depth of your Mm -hmm. relationship. It's the depth of what you do. And when you give a human a choice and you say, okay, human, human A, human A, there's two people. I want you to pick which one you trust. Do you trust the human or do you trust the robot? They're always going to pick the human. That's in our nature. But if all of your messages are unoriginal or disconnected or lacking any sort of personality or polarity, it is impossible for them to establish the depth of relationship required. Oh, a hundred percent. When I first started to lean into my personality, that's when I started to stand out and people started to respond. They started to be human back to me because I wasn't sticking myself into a container of like, this is what this needs to look like, or this is how it needs to sound or feel. And so when I was just like, listen, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if you care about my child and me going to Chipotle. Like, I I mean, I don't know. I'm just going to share it. And like, if it lands, it lands. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But one other thing I'll also add is the creative use of GIFs 
and I'm not talking about using like the office GIFs or Parks and Rec, like using create like custom GIFs of yourself, especially in the personal brand side of things has been so beneficial for me, especially in my autoresponder or my own business boundaries about how I check my email. I have like a little GIF of like me and my son, Nick, and most people are like, I I couldn't even be like mad. Like, that you weren't in your email like you know and like it, it just like humanizes me and they're like oh no like i seriously mean it like my kid is going to lick my face like that's totally gonna happen and showing that <laughs> yeah i i love it and she's not talking about peanut butter by the way which i still like the, the pronunciation of like jiff and is it mem or meme i say meme i got so obnoxiously obsessed with everybody i just started calling it mimi I was like, it's a Mimi because I just wanted to like not get into the debate anymore because then it was GIF or GIF. That was the other one. And I was like, come on. I was like, can we just name something like that we can all name? But no, I I love that. And that's kind of like a bonus tip for everybody. So I'm going to recap because by the way, just for everybody listening, this is an entire masterclass of inversion theory to have successful email because basically if you don't do what we said and you do the inverse you're guaranteed to succeed when it comes to email, right? Mm -hmm. So number one, lacking intentionality when it came to emails, right? So always realizing that I'd rather you not send an email than send one that lacks intention because not sending one is way better because if you send an email that lacks intention or doesn't make sense contextually, it will move your subscriber further away from the desired result that you're seeking. That's number one. Number two, do not spray and pray. Do not spray and pray. (laughs) Understand who your avatar is or who your audience is and figure out the way that you can put them into buckets to allow you to personalize at scale their journeys to achieve the maximum desired result that you seek and that they seek. Number three, uh, don't insult people's intelligence by ignoring their journey, right? But always give context. Never assume Your job is to hold them accountable and lead them, right? So don't copy and paste. Don't do things. Add the flavor of the journey that matches where they are and give context. Then number four is don't lack originality. Put your personality in and unapologetically put your personality in in as many places as possible. And then you gave some bonus tips. Are there any more that you want to add? Gosh, I mean, I could talk all day about email and I appreciate how you make me sound like way smarter than what I feel like sometimes. And you're just like, yeah, I was like, literally, as you were doing that, I was like, yeah, that's basically what I said. I just said it like you just said it smarter. So I appreciate that. Honestly, at the end of the day, just like send the email, like go back and listen to this, because if there's a like if there's one podcast episode I could leave with and be like, this is like my brain or at least a part of my brain that I would want people to go and implement, it would definitely be this one. Yes. So I'm going to, if those of you guys are watching the video, I didn't change the camera view because I live switched this podcast, but I had to add a fifth one because there is one I have to add based on what you just said. So I want this podcast title to be like the five biggest mistakes people make when doing email because there's one more. And the biggest one for me is that you don't email. You don't email. And Not even like, and this goes foundationally below all of what Ashley talked about is in my opinion, the absolute, absolute worst thing you can do in my opinion is get somebody's attention, get them to agree to know, like, and trust you by giving you their email or their credit card and then abandoning them in the black hole and expecting them to get a result. Because for me, I'd rather you not have an email list and tell people I'm not going to collect your email because I'm not going to email you. Then get and hoard all of these emails. Never use them until you're in scarcity or something's not there. And then blast them out and hope that something works. That is a surefire guaranteed way to negatively affect you, your brand, and your business and move it backwards. Nobody likes being ignored. Nobody likes being committed to something and not being followed up with and Nobody likes not being supported. And so for me, and Ashley will tell you, I push people hard. I'd rather you send a two-sentence email that's authentic and connected than never sending one in the first place. So my bonus one for all of you is email your people. And here's a newsflash. 
Some of them aren't going to like it because you ignored them too long. And some of them aren't going to want to be on your list because they don't need to be anymore. And some of them aren't going to like your humor. And that's completely okay. But you have to unapologetically be you and you have to own it. So please communicate with your subscribers. That would be my bonus one. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. And that's where, and I'll keep this really short, but especially with digital courses, yes. when you're just sending them the login link and not following up, giving that accountability or doing anything, it doesn't work. It also doesn't work to hire me to do a sales sequence or anybody else for that matter. When you haven't emailed them in six months and you're just like, Oh, we're going to put together this launch sequence. I'm like, okay, cool. Like what else have you been doing? And if, the, if it's zero, I'm like, yeah, this probably isn't aligned for me because like I, you can't bank on six emails or eight emails when you have people who have been in your world for six months and they have not heard anything from you. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, totally. So I'm going to put a bow on email. Can we put a bow on email, Ash? Can we wrap it? I'm here for it. We're going to wrap email because I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. So for everybody listening to this, I, I want you to very much take this seriously. I, I'm telling you <laughs> that that information that you were just given, if taken and put into practice, is gold. And my only ask for you is that you go to ashleykdeluca.com slash book and grab a copy so you can hear more of her story, but her personality, see it an example, and she breaks down email and how she uses it in conversational email marketing. And all of that is there. So it's ashleykdeluca.com slash book. And then is there anything else about the book, like that's in the book that you want them to know, tangible takeaways around email or anything I missed? Yeah. So essentially the biggest thing is I'm walking you through not necessarily just strategies and tactics, but also the principles that are for years to come. One of my biggest goals within this book is to make sure that you can actually take and keep it on your bookshelf and not just have it fly off as if it was just like, so 2007. And so I have just completely poured my heart and soul into really setting you up for success because I want my child to be able to read it and be like, yeah, mom put all of it in there. So that way you could be successful as well too. I love it. And you just said that. And I was like, I have to write another book. Cause all I did was a cookbook. I took the lazy way. <laughs> like I like, so like I forgot I have a book. Like I'm reminded more from my friends that I have a New York times bestselling book. And I was like, Oh man, like that was not the legacy one. I was like, that means I'm gonna have to write something. I took the cheap way. All I had to write was ingredients and process. Cause I didn't want to write. Y'all. You know what I was also going to say? I was like, I randomly was looking up a recipe. This was like probably two weeks ago. And I stumbled across one of your old ones. And I didn't realize it until I like scrolled down and saw a picture. And I was like, wait a second. I was like, what? And like, y'all, George had hair. I y'all, had, you had like a so hair. Listen, and I was like, whoa. I legitimately rocked a comb over as a 32-year-old male. Like I rocked a comb over <laughs> like you wouldn't believe cooking apron and comb over. Cause I was like, why not? There's actually, I did a photo shoot for the book with a comb over. Like that's, but that's about the part of my life where I started owning who I was, but I literally hadn't had hair in like eight years. It was probably eight years. Cause no, no. So I had a bowl cut. I rocked We're going to get really personal here because Ashley and I are friends. So we can do this. I had a bowl cut when I was a kid and then I was already bullied really bad. Mm-hmm. That's another podcast. And so then when I joined the Marine Corps, obviously at boot camp they shave your head. And so right. then I kept my head shaved because it was easy. So I got my head shaved in 2002. And then by the time I was out of training, it was 2000, the beginning of 2004. And then I immediately was deployed to Somalia for 13 months. So then that carried me with no hair to like 2005. And then I only grew hair like 2005, 2006, 2007. I had a high and tight. So like it was a straight Marine like it basically looked mm-hmm. like I had a landing strip on the top of my head, a mohawk that hadn't quite developed into an adult yet, right? And then yeah. I maybe only had hair for three years, and then um, and then my dad got diagnosed with terminal cancer and then uh, went through chemo, and my dad really loved his hair. So the moment he started losing his hair, I then shaved it. And then I had no hair 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, and then in 2013, I was medically separated from the military. And I was like, I'm not cutting any of it. And I grew a beard down to my chest. And so I had a, yes, Ash, there's a, there's a few photos floating on the internet, but you got to be really good to find them because I did really good hiding them. But I had a beard like literally down to like my ribs. So it was a, a legit beard and I grew hair to go with it. 
And then oh my gosh. I tried it and I gave it, I gave it the full time. It was a good like nine months. And in that I did a comb over. I did like a faux hawk. And then I was like, this sucks. And the worst part for me is I actually had to do my hair in the morning. And I had to like do my beard. <laughs> right. And I was like, no. And so then I shaved it again. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm not doing that again. And I really hated the beard. Like anything more than like a week is too much for me. I didn't like it. But then I was like, okay, I kind of want hair again, but I want a mohawk. And I was like, I can rock a mohawk. And so uh, we got pregnant and then we found out that it was a boy. So I decided to grow a mohawk and dye it blue for the gender reveal party. And so, oh, I, I mean, for, not for the gender. After that, I was growing a mohawk. So whatever happened to the gender reveal party, I was either going to dye it pink or blue. And so I was going to carry it till they were born. And so found out Branson was a boy. I dyed it blue and then I kept it through maybe about a year or so, or no, a little bit longer. And then one day he said, daddy, can I give you a haircut? And I was like, okay. And I gave him the buzzers and I let him shave it off. And then I'm back to no having no hair. <laughs> and that's the thing. And like, here's the thing. Like I love the mohawk, but a mohawk that's not done looks like dog poop. And then mm-hmm. if you shave it, the process of getting back to a mohawk is like going through puberty again because it doesn't look right. <laughs> it's weird. And I was like, I'm, I'm not willing to do this anymore. So that's my hair story, Ash. Oh my gosh. I've, that's yeah. I've given my husband a bull haircut and he hated me for like three weeks. So I've, I know I've been there. I yeah. get it. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to ask you this question because I didn't ask this question when you were on the podcast and I haven't asked you, but you've heard it, but I want to know because I know one of them, right? This is my new favorite question to ask anybody. And I think it's a perfect way to wrap the episode. Okay. If you could combine two animals to be your spirit animal, what two and why? Um, so this would be really weird, um, but definitely a sea turtle and a lion, okay. um, mainly because sea turtles go with the flow. And that is something that I try to embody is just kind of going with the flow and not getting caught up in all the things, as I say. And then also the lion, because it has a ferocious roar and it's the king of the jungle. I love it. I love it. And every time I think about turtle with you, I think about the turtle from finding Nemo. Like yes. that, that's your energy for me. Like riding the wave, dude. Like, I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Ash and I could do this all day. Um, Ash, thank you for being here. Uh, best place, everybody. The only place you're allowed to go. Ashleykdeluca.com slash book. Grab a copy, grab 10 copies. Look at the tiers, including the tier for Ashley to do this for you. So check all that out. All that information is there. It's ashleykdeluca.com slash book. So it's A-S-H-L-E-Y-K-D-E-L-U-C-A.com slash book, right? Nailed it. Got it. Nailed it. Um, and I'll do this. I, uh, I just love Ashley. She's like my little sister. Once you go buy the book, send me a screenshot on Instagram DMs. And once you send me a screenshot, I will send you a gift that I will not tell you about until you send it to me. Trust me, the juice will be probably 150 times more valuable than the squeeze of buying the book. That's what I'll leave it. So you all know my Instagram, and if you know how crazy I am, you could probably start to assume what I'm going to send you around email to hold you over until the book comes. But you have to buy the book, ashleykdeluca.com slash book. Send me a screenshot on Instagram to my username, which is it's George Bryant. I need to see it, and then I will send you a gift the end. Okay, cool. So one last question, Ash, because I got to wrap it the normal way. Okay. Let's yeah. go. Let's go back. And you can choose email or life because this was a very email focus, but I feel like we also got Ashley in the bottom of all of it, which is amazing, right? If everybody listened to this forgot and didn't remember one thing they heard this entire episode, and in this moment, you had the opportunity to tattoo their soul with any wisdom that they would carry forth to them for the rest of their life, what would you tattoo on their soul? Holy guacamole. Um, not that. That's not really impactful enough. Um, I think, I mean, that's probably what I would actually probably say, you know, but I think honestly, the biggest thing is, is that I just want people to be empowered to share their gifts. Mm-hmm. Like just go out there and be and be empowered to share your gifts via email marketing. Like don't get stuck in all the tech, don't get stuck in all the things and just go out there and freaking do it because there's somebody on the other side who needs your gifts as well. 
Oh, I love that. And that is such a perfect way to end the episode. So Ashley, you stick around. And for everybody listening, this has been another episode of the Mind of George show where I'm just getting louder and more aggressive because I'm refinding my originality and how to put it back into the podcast because I get a different level and a different flavor. And I'm just honored and stoked to have people like Ashley in my life. And so go grab a copy of the book, ashleykdeluca.com slash book. If you buy a copy, send me proof in my DMs and I will give you a present. But other than that, remember the world needs your gifts, as Ashley said, and it's your job to share them. Don't worry about the tech. Don't worry about the perfection. As long as you are being you, you are guaranteed to make progress and you can always learn and adjust as you go. And I'm going to say this again about this episode. If you are still listening to this, this episode is golden when it comes to email. Like things that people pay us five, six figures behind closed doors to help them do, you were just given in a podcast episode. So go listen to it and be like, okay, got it. Write that down. We'll do that. We'll adjust the sequence. We'll make sure we always include this and make a wrap sheet of requirements that like, hey, we don't send an email unless it's original, unless it has personality, unless it does all of the things as Ashley would say. So when she reads it, she can say, holy guacamole. And I figure that's a perfect way to end the episode. So remember, I will see you in the next episode or you will hear me in your earballs. Relationships definitely always beat algorithms. I love you all. Have a beautiful day. And now let's cue the outro. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.